Bounty hunting is a complicated profession, and that is why we are here to talk about The Mandalorian. My name is Dan Morin. Uh, I am the host of this podcast in which we talk about episodes of The Mandalorian, and this week we are covering episode six, and I have two very special guests with me. Uh, first of all, you may recognize her from our Total Party Kill uh, podcast in which she was both in uh, one of our Shocktober events as well as a regular on the uh, the series, if you are a member, that perhaps you've been streaming our Dog and Pony show season three. It's Jane Ritt. Hi, Jane. Welcome back. Hi, Dan. It's great to be here. It is a pleasure to have you. You and I uh, obviously have talked Star Wars a lot in our lives, and, and there's a big reason. Part of that <laughs> is because of our second special guest, never before heard on a podcast, and I am amazed that I dragged him here. It is my very good friend. Evan Ritt, uh, who is uh, someone who I've both known for more than 25 years, as well as Jane's husband. Hi, Evan. Welcome to the show. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. Uh, I I led off by saying, as with my previous guest, that I wanted you guys to talk a little bit about your feelings on The Mandalorian generally, as well as your relationship with Star Wars. I happen to know that both of you have very (laughs) deep relationships with Star Wars. I know that because it is... Uh, very close to my relationship with both of you as well. Uh, so, yeah, you want to talk a little bit about the show and maybe Star Wars more generally? Yeah. Um, so I was originally not especially excited about a show that was focused on a Mandalorian Um I didn't necessarily think it was the most compelling idea that I could have thought of. Um, So I was, you know, at a medium, I'd say, interest level. But uh, as soon as I started watching, it was really apparent that, like, the visual style, the sort of adventure serial vibe were something that I was going to just adore. Uh, And then towards the end of that first episode, when they cracked open that crash and that little baby yoda hand peeked out uh <laughs> I, I was absolutely hooked. hooked yeah yeah i think they make really uh interesting choices some of them kind of unexpected and that makes for really fun viewing for sort of a franchise that could very easily at this stage you know risk getting stale because there, there's so much that they've already done yeah, Evan, I imagine that you have some conflicts because you, you like Star Wars, you love bounty hunters and Mandalorians, but you, you, you hate cute things and all things that are good. So that must be a real struggle for you. Yeah, I mean, I, get, I make it through, though. I make it through the episodes. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and, you know, I, I think actually another piece I'd like to add on as well that um, you know, Jane was mentioning about a lot of the the kind of the genre work that it's doing, I think it's also important to bring up the the heavy western influences um, that were you know very integral to the original Star Wars mm-hmm. movies, and I think have been brought into this show so far in a very um, effective and enjoyable manner as well. So that I think that's one thing I'd like to add that is fueling a lot of my enjoyment uh, of the show, in addition to the fact that. Um, I just think it's been, it's been really interesting. It's been well handled. It's been fun to watch. Yeah, I I think we, 
we've it's been a a long time coming to have a live action Star Wars show. I know you guys oh, yeah. have both watched the animated series, and Jane, yeah. I know yep. you you are a big Clone Wars fan, especially. Um, mm-hmm. And so having you know certainly having Dave Filoni as part of the creative team here has think right. I think has made a big difference, and he certainly has made uh, no secret of his fan of the westerns as well. This is like a few ba- episodes back where we did sort of the Magnificent Seven slash Seven Samurai pastiche, which is not the first time he's gone to that well. Right. Um, right. Yeah, so that's a it's a good combination. Um, and uh, we were talking a little bit about this before the show, but I think it is also worth mentioning that. So you, the three of us, have been to Star Wars Celebration twice. Yeah, twice. Yeah, twice, yep. yeah. Yep. Uh, and 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 uh, engaged in some some trivia contests and done pretty <laughs> well there too. So I feel like this is a good Star Wars brain trust happening here. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, it was actually the um, there's a trivia scavenger hunt event called the bounty hunt so even more specifically um this is a well we have gone to previously (laughs) (laughs) our team was called uh who's the bosk we were like one of three teams teams called who's the bosk that's right yeah so so we didn't win on originality but we we did though but we did win on winning which is (laughs) arguably (laughs) the one that counts in the end long term that's a much better it's a much better feeling and the prize was like two men's t-shirts and like four women's t-shirts so even among the winning i think that i yeah won. i have that t-shirt but it's actually even a little bit too small for me so i never wear it but i have it because i want it yeah but Just bronze it dan yeah but i i you know the the idea of a bounty hunter in star wars is so interesting when you abstract it from the kind of a plot of the universe, mm-hmm. which is you know the the light side and the dark side and all of the beings that can wield this incredible power, and then you also have like people who have jobs <laughs> and people who have to survive and right. people who are trying to get stability or mobility in a world that really only provides that for a very small percentage of the population. Uh, So one of the things that I found most interesting about The Mandalorian is how you get a picture of what the world is like post-war. Right, yeah. You know, where there are shortages, where there are power vacuums, the types of people who you see rising up, and the places that were kind of uh, full of life previously, you know, the cantina being Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. pretty much... Do we have that confirmed that that's Chalman's Cantina? Do we know that? Oh, in the in the Tatooine episode? Yeah, I don't I don't think it's supposed to be Chalman. It really but... looked like it. Like it, the set is the same. It is like yeah, having just rewatched A New Hope, like I feel like it it felt very distinct and especially it felt like a little bit of a knife twist to have like all the droids running the place when they like had yeah. been yeah. in such an anti-droid place. So Mm-hmm. It's certainly if it wasn't, it was a close cousin to it. Like maybe yeah. Chalman's yeah. shut down Franchise. and they're like, yeah, they reopened it. <laughs> Ch- yeah. Chalman's too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> under new management, all droid, all the time. Absolutely. Um. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about this particular episode. This is Chapter Six, The Prisoner, uh, and I think this episode not only does a great job of sort of um, painting a picture of what is the Mandalorian sort of daily quote-unquote life look like what are the kind of jobs he takes um but also 
it is very distinct, I think, from a lot of the episodes that we have seen yeah. thus far and is, uh, without saying too much about it, is one of my favorites so far, I think. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll run through the plot a little bit and we'll uh, talk about some stuff that pops up. Uh, the episode opens with the Razor Crest landing on a space station. Uh, the Mandalorian, who's getting a lot of attention from people, is got his uh, runs into his old friend Ran. Um, Ran and the Mandalorian go back a long way. I thought this was interesting. It's one of the few people we have met in the show who who knew the Mandalorian prior to the events of the show. It's basically him yeah. and um, Carl Weathers' character, Grief Karga. Uh, it seems like uh, that's an interesting dynamic too, because there's a lot here where it suggests they ran and the Mandalorian grew up together um, yep. to a certain extent and they ran together in their younger days which made me wonder whether or not Ran has seen him under the helmet it's kind of because his first thing he says he asks him like is that you under there Mando like under that bucket um, which I was just very curious about like maybe he just hadn't had his helmet yet maybe he had like scarves I don't know is scarves a Mandalorian thing <laughs> yeah well, what's interesting is that this suit of armor is new. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's a different helmet um, and the same person, but there is really no like continuity with knowing for sure. And especially since um, it was episode three, maybe, where the the Mandalorian armorer mentioned that the, Mandal- the Mandalorian didn't have a crest yet, right? Right, so- right. His armor has, to this point, and still not really, it doesn't have any identifying marks on it. It's very anonymizing, right? yeah, because yeah. it's, it's yeah. just very shiny, and we recognize him, but is there's certainly nothing to identify him. Right. Um, it's so interesting to think of, you know, his life before uh, being embroiled in the current set of events, like... Uh, if if we joined, you know, the Mandalorian story a year ago, it would be a very mm-hmm. different kind of story. Sure. And we start to get some sense of that uh, here, where it's not just jobs that he had, you know, existing relationships and it, to some degree, put down roots and then um, opted to pull those roots back up. Yeah, this is some of the most backstory. And even here, the backstory is it's vague. Right. Like we don't get a lot of details, um, but there's a lot more in here, just like that hints at his future life or it's sorry, past life. Tense. It is. And it tense. also yeah. has a, a different type of tension than I think in the earlier episodes. Mm-hmm. Like you can tell that it bothers him to be known by right. people. And, yes. You know that he now understands that having had this relationship what it says about him yeah um so the job ran has for him is to spring uh one of their associates uh ran first claims that he has been taken by competitors uh he says he's got a crew but he needs the ship um that mandalorian has and so he introduces him we go through and meet sort of all the various members of this crew we have mayfeld who is a former imperial sharpshooter and sort of the point man on the mission um we have berg who is a the Deveronian muscle. We have Zero, who is the droid pilot, and we have Xion, who's the Twi'lek uh, knife knife lady. <laughs> I don't know what it, what's the job title. <laughs> lady Cackler. Cackler. That's right. She does a lot of cackling. That's true. Yeah. Um, uh, Xion, no, okay. especially. There's some there's some history we we learned pretty quickly between Xion and the Mandalorian as well. Okay, favorite favorite characters on the crew. Go. <laughs> 
in within the um within just the, the heist group there with, within the heist group. I'm gonna have to go zero. I think mm. zero is a solid choice. Um, yeah, that is good. Well, I, this, the there are so many actors I like in there. Yeah, um, I I do enjoy. <laughs> so I laughed a little bit at Mayfeld. I had to look up this actor. His name is Bill Burr. <laughs> he he is from uh, the Boston area, and you can tell almost immediately. Like, yeah, it's a it's yeah. Boston guy. It's Boston guy who's like, is he the? Have we all met Mayfeld in a bar somewhere? I feel like we have. <laughs> it was so weird to. <laughs> So, so much about The Mandalorian is, like, uber tropey. Like, mm-hmm. it's all a very specific type of flavor. And Mayfeld is a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and I found that really refreshing and interesting. Um, but my favorite has to be Xion. Mm. Um, those little uh, knives that she has. She is... Um, bananas which i always appreciate um and i'm a big fan of normalizing the uh head tail prosthetics ah yeah sure um because i the science has evolved somewhat they still don't look perfect but i think they look a lot better than they did in the prequels and i'm still holding off hope that we will see ahsoka someday yeah so so get people like seeing those and thinking that they're normal it's a good play i like it um yeah i i really enjoyed the dynamic between all these and i i have to say i do have a soft spot for berg uh if only because it's clancy brown uh who is a delightful character actor uh who people probably know best from things like uh playing the kurgan in highlander um or playing uh the uh i can't remember the character's name but he was a central figure on carnival um he's just one of those guys who pops up everywhere in his very distinct voice uh they, they just had such a good ensemble vibe yes right you get the feeling that there is like again with so much of the mandalorian what's refreshing about it is like you feel like you're being dropped into this world that is complete and it's part of the thing everybody loves about star wars in general right like all this stuff has goes on without us even being there right like there's this idea this world persists even when we're not around to peek into it and this episode definitely feels like well there is this you know this this crew of people who have worked some jobs together and um they just all have these lives that go on even when we're not around to see them so that's our this is our slice of life um our crew assembles um and we find out that this is not in fact a rival syndicate but rather a new republic prison ship that is heavily armed uh, it's a little more than the mandalorian has uh, bought into but he is sort of convinced to go along anyways. He's most worried because, you know, he has to bring a ship. And, of course, the child is on the ship. And he doesn't really have a good babysitter arrangement at the moment. <laughs> uh, so they load themselves up. Um, Zero is poking around and finds the message from Grief Karga about the quarry. He is intrigued. Um, we are also told this ship, uh, prison ship is manned by droids. Uh, and several people know about the Mando uh, distaste for droids. And uh, he is so unhappy that Zero is going to be flying his mm-hmm, ship. Mm-hmm, that's he true. is not pleased by that development at all. <laughs> um, 
we also have like sort of our uh, uh, traditional situation with these uh, kind of disreputable characters where uh, he asks Ran, how do you trust it? And Ran says, I don't trust anybody, which is basically, I gather, standard operating procedure for every black market sort of deal anywhere. Never trust anybody. I don't know how anybody gets any money, but, you know, I guess it happens. Um, on the ship, as they go off to the job, everybody is sort of poking around at all of his stuff. He needs locks on many of those, was my thought. On his bunk, on his weapon locker. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Um, and Just of course... imagine if Baby Yoda pushed that button. That's, <laughs> that's not child oh God, safe. Baby Yoda has a gun. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I would watch that spinoff. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like this component of the episode was so stressful and it was so stressful in this like human level Mm -hmm. of being surrounded by people who don't respect your boundaries and are motivated to literally push your buttons and uh it it just really captured these like nasty people who are on a road trip together (laughs) trying to size each other up and again, I think like so much of what uh, with with Mayfeld in particular is like, like you said, Jane, I think he he's just a guy, but he's also like a guy, like a template of a guy that we all know, right? Where he yeah. he makes fun of the Mandalorian wearing the helmet. Like he wants, he like goads him into trying to take off the helmet. Uh, he, you know, takes when the, the child is revealed, uh, he, you know, picks him up and he, he does like the fake dropping the child thing, which is like, who does that? <laughs> like, like basically like jerks that you went to high school with, right? Like he feels like right. kind of your stereotypical bully from high school. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, I, I both detest that and enjoy it. <laughs> right. And I think it was very much like, again, like you were saying that these are people who had had lives before Mando landed. Um, the idea that like command had sort of stabilized he is in charge but now there's a new guy he's got shiny armor like feeling like he has to reassert mm. his authority about petty things in order to right. yeah. sort of prove to himself and to the other people on the crew that he should still be in charge yeah, we basically realize these guys are all all jerks at this point. I mean, they yes. Xian mocks the whole "this is the way" thing that the with the Mando. Um, there's a comment about like, oh, supposedly they're the greatest warriors in the galaxy. Then why are they all dead? You know, like there's a lot of goading of the Mandalorian here. Um, it was very bracing. <laughs> like, like you sort of don't see people making fun of like the core fantasy tenets mm-hmm, of. Mm-hmm the universe very often like uh like making fun of this is the way and, and all of that stuff it was interesting right like the idea that you have this by this even within the universe there are people who have different opinions about these things right like the closest we've gotten are people who mock sort of like the force right like in and right. han solo mocking the force in episode four because it's like ah you know that's mumbo jumbo etc but it is a little this feels a little more direct and like uh, right <laughs> not quite i mean hateful i don't know if that's too strong a word but like it feels very like i disrespectful and very mean yeah like they're not making fun of him for being weak they're making fun of him for being weird right. <laughs> which is like you don't normally see what he is doing and how he lives his life as weird because everyone takes it seriously <laughs> right yeah um 
So we get uh, the ship drops out of hyperspace, throwing everybody around. Uh, Mayfeld does drop the child, which is <laughs> like if if you didn't have at least a little bit of a <gasps> like in that moment, <laughs> then you're probably Evan. Is I guess what I'm saying? No, uh, okay. no, shots Evan, fired. Evan <laughs> loves Baby Yoda. He loves Baby Yoda. Yeah. All right. I I don't like Yoda, but I love Baby Yoda. That's fair. That's fair. Um. This isn't the first time we... This is sort of the first indication here that we get that something else is up. We have a scene where after they've docked, Xion and Mayfeld are like off in one side and they're kind of whispering to each other. And you start... I feel like, for me anyways, I started to get the impression at this point, like, all right, not everything is as it seemed. We've already seen a couple cases where the stuff that was hinted at turned out to be incorrect or like they keep Mm -hmm. giving the, the Mandalorian new information. Like, oh, actually, it's this really heavily armored ship. And so something else is going on with this job. Right. Um, we uh, get them to break into the ship, which is being patrolled by droids. Um, they sort of sneak around. Uh, there's a bunch of creatures, and there's a few cameos here. The only one I really caught was the um, there's the creature that John Favreau, the race that John Favreau plays in Solo, who's the pilot for Beckett's crew, um, who's oh, got like the yeah. four arms. Uh, there's yeah. one of those locked up at one point, but and I feel like there's like a somewhat officer who looks kind of like an imperial officer. Could be a yeah, new republic I, officer. Yeah, I think that was an imperial, it was, that, it was an imperial officer. officer for okay. sure. Yeah. So there's we get the idea. There's a lot of prisoners on this uh, ship that's sort of trundling around the galaxy. They're all from different walks of life. Um, again, sort of interesting peeks into what else is going on in the universe. Yeah. Um, we run into some security droids. Uh, the Mandalorian is, this is apparently what they brought him along for. Uh, everybody gets sort of pinned down as they're shooting and they look for the Mandalorian who has disappeared. And that's only because he is flanked around them to do some truly awesome, just beating the crap out of a bunch of droids. (laughs) Uh, And I think that this part was, you know, the entire episode really felt like it was keeping you off balance mm -hmm. and, I had sort of expected that this was going to be the story beat where, okay, he takes out all of these droids. He looks like really awesome doing it. And now they'll grudgingly respect him. And instead it's like, no, he does it. And they're like, okay, weirdo, I guess you really do hate droids. <laughs> yeah. Like he gets nothing out of it despite having done something very impressive. Right. Yeah. And it was just hilarious. I thought that was fascinating too, because they like the first thing they, you can tell that they are kind of, if not impressed, like they realize he is a serious player. And, but even then, the uh, Mayfeld has a nice moment where he's like, like, whoa, like looking at him. And then he quickly like reasserts control and it's like, yeah, make sure you clean up your mess. And it's like, again, kind of your, I feel like your typical high school jerks being, and like the Deveroni <laughs> like walks past him and like shoulder checks him. And you're like, who are these jerks? <laughs> yeah. Is is this the first episode of The Mandalorian that takes place in high school? <laughs> I would watch that show. <laughs> well, I mean, there I was, we just did. There's the scene where he drops a tray and everybody applauds, you know, like in the cafeteria. <laughs> the worst. Um, so uh, at this point, we have them get to the cockpit, and we suddenly are told there's an organic life form in the cockpit, even though this ship was supposed to entirely be manned by droids. Uh, Mayfeld does not seem surprised by that. Clearly, it feels like this was something else hidden from the Mandalorian. Uh, and when we get in, we meet Davin, played by uh, Star Wars alum Matt Lanter. 
uh, the voice of Anakin Skywalker from Clone Wars. The first of several cameos in this episode, actually. Uh, That was a a fun scene, especially because I feel like Matt Lanter is playing a character that is very much not Anakin Skywalker or (laughs) any other character I've seen him play. Um, Just this poor principal doofus who is extremely outgunned, (laughs) but uh, wouldn't back down. And another good scene that that ramps up that tension that you're talking about, Jane, because we end up in sort of a standoff where everybody's got guns pointing at each other. The Mandalorian is really trying hard not to end up with this guy dead uh, and is sort of trying to de-escalate things. And And you know what always really improves a standoff is when one of the people who's pointing guns has another gun come out (laughs) of his backpack. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to just throw that into the mix. I laughed at this because, so there's a joke earlier on about Mayfeld where he's an Imperial sharpshooter and the Mandalorian basically is like, no, that's whatever, low bar, you know? <laughs> and he's like, I was a stormtrooper! <laughs> uh, which I love. And I feel like, but are you a sharpshooter if you just have like a robot backpack that does all your sharpshooting for you? Like, that seems like a cop-out. <laughs> yeah. I um. I also appreciated the way that the standoff was resolved because like there's all of this bravado and energy and like all of the men standing there (laughs) pointing guns at each other. And then Xi'an with one of her tricky little knives um, pretty quickly uh, takes the choice away from everyone. Yeah. uh, And that's, it's it's an awkward scene too, right? Because I was like sitting there going, like, well, we all root for the Mandalorian, like he's our hero, and so we feel like, oh, maybe he's gonna find a way to get out of this situation and save this guy. That would be the heroic thing to do. And nope, that guy is just killed. He is just murdered. Um, but he does have uh, his little distress beacon that he has uh, shown off, and he apparently gets to turn it on before he dies, which means now they have only twenty minutes before the New Republic attack squad shows up. And they got to hustle. Was anyone tracking the actual time that the rest of the episode took to resolve? I thought about it, but I did not. But it's not, it's probably not that far off. I mean, the episode ran right. about 43 minutes, and I think it is probably pretty close to the halfway point. Um, yeah. And they, they give a count off every once in a while, too. Right, uh, right, yep. because of zero. Yeah. Um. So we now have sort of a slightly uh, uh, two-fork plot where we have, um, first of all, we find the, uh, the uh, person that they've been here to break out. Turns out to be a, a, another Twi'lek named Quinn, who is Xion's brother. And we also learn that the Mandalorian is somehow responsible for leaving him behind somewhere. Uh, and this is sort of a revenge job because the Mandalorian is thrown into the cell and locked up. And so did, did anyone else get the sense that this is where it really turned for the Mandalorian even beyond him getting locked up in the cell like I somehow got the sense that um you know this guy was the one that he really found dangerous and whatever scenario had taken place to um get him locked up was something where Mando really believed that was where he belonged. Mm-hmm. Like, we know that clearly he was running with a pretty dangerous crew previously, um, and that perhaps some of the more recent things that he's been doing are his sort of first uh, 
first actions that are part of a new moral framework, but he did seem very unsettled by having this guy out and about. Yeah. It seems like he's got some strong feelings about him. There's some history there, some bad blood. Yep. Um, there, uh, we have sort of this... So as the Mandalorian is working on getting out and basically, you know, tracking down the rest of the crew, we also have a side plot where Zero is uh, essentially <laughs> looking for the child because the child comes up behind him while he's, like, hacking into the transmissions and it's just sort of hanging out. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, he's, uh, he goes playing hide and hide and go seek with the child, which is an interesting <laughs> development. Um, it, it was, uh, also, also very tense, especially because he just went and got a gun. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not sure if he knew the terms by which, you know, grief wanted baby Yoda back, but it just feels like. I don't know. There was a very real chance that while all of this other stuff was happening, a robot was going to shoot Baby Yoda with a gun. <laughs> and somehow that's very uh, bracing. Uh, I guess Baby Yoda should have had that gun, huh? <laughs> then it would have been a fair fight. <laughs> he has access to the weapons locker. So. That's true. That's true. Um, if, if you outlaw blasters... <laughs> only babies will baby have yoda <laughs> will have a blaster i, I feel like that's we, a logical we can workshop fallacy. that one a, a little bit more i think <laughs> um so i really love this last act here as the mandalorian sort of it, it transmutes from a heist or prison break to essentially almost like a horror movie like where the mandalorian yes. is like tracking them down one by one and picking them off, which felt yes. like a very different sort of uh, episode than the first two thirds of it or so, but yet one that was, I thought, really engaging. Well, you never see him when he has the advantage, like pretty much ever, like always mm. his ship is getting disassembled. He's being pelted with garbage by Jawas. There's like a space rhino running him over a bunch of times, but in, I mean, he he's in control. He's in the control room and kind of funning, funneling them together. And for me, a lot of the suspense in this was, what are his intentions? Like, is he just trying to survive? Is he trying to kill them? It was very menacing. Yeah, I mean, he also goes from reacting to being proactive here, too, right? right? Like, so much of the last several episodes have been about him on the defensive, right? Like, he's got, uh, you know, he goes to the, uh, the, the krill farmers, and he sort of helps them. But, like, you know, somebody's trying to track down the child. He's reacting to um, uh, Toro, right, uh, last week, uh, trying to kidnap the child and take him for his own. And, like, a lot of this is also him just, like, running away from the fact that all these people are trying to track Baby Yoda down. And he needs to keep, like, a step ahead of them. And so this is one of the first times that I feel like we see him really turn the tables and go on the offensive. Uh, even if he was sort of on his back foot to get there, but like now he is actively going around and like tracking all these guys down and hunting them. And I mean, he is a bounty hunter, and this is sort of, you know, him really doing that. Yeah. 
We were actually having a conversation last night with one of our friends um, about The Mandalorian. And one of the things that he was saying was that, it, in his opinion, Mando's just not especially smart. Like, because <laughs> he makes, you know, mistakes and he ends up in situations that are technically of his own making. But I also think a lot of the time he just doesn't have very good options. And he is calculated about the options that he takes, even if they don't, you know, play out. But I did appreciate that when he broke out, his first play wasn't to try and, you know, go after them or pick off individuals. When he escaped, he went to the control room mm -hmm. because that was the best strategic shot that he had at being able to contain the situation. Um, and he, there are a lot of hot headed characters in Star Wars. And it's interesting to me the degree to which Mando is not one of them at all. Like, he's definitely things get under his skin a lot, but he's also quite calculating um, and strategic. I I feel like that has to have that it goes hand in hand with to a certain extent the fact that we never see his face. Like, right. like there, there is an interesting sort of cold and calculating feeling from him because a lot of his moves are seem kind of on the subtle side. Like since right. you're always sort of reading his emotions very subtly, I feel like a hot-headed, reckless character would not last as long <laughs> or, you know, somebody would have ripped off that helmet by this point, probably. Right. I think it would also be very easy to make a character who is hot-headed and reckless and you never see his face and you just hate him. <laughs> like, yeah. by giving him some uncertainty, um, some hesitation, but also uh, occasionally doing really cool stuff, I think they kind of keep the balance yeah. in the right place. So uh, the Mandalorian separates uh, the, uh, the, the other four. Um, we see Quinn wants to get off the ship. He doesn't actually care about his sister at all. Um, they turn on each other immediately. Instantly, yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. And he offers Mayfeld a lot of money if he just goes and like basically kills the Mandalorian. Um, and the rest of them sort of go off looking for him on their own. Uh, Berg gets to the command center, and we have a big fight there where we like see <laughs> the muscle. We brought the muscle along for the reason uh, where he, you know, basically, I, I thought that was great because it showed the Mandalorian using all of his toys, and none of them work. <laughs> he immediately like loses his gun. He tries to grappling hook him. He gets pulled through a ceiling vent. He tries to shoot his missiles off at one point, and they don't do anything. Um, he grabs actually in a move which I didn't catch till the second time I watched it. When he grabs two, he gets both of the Deveronians' guns and tries to use them against him. And he, like, <laughs> throws those out of his hands. And then he flamethrows him in the face. And the Deveronians just like, nah, slight sunburn. <laughs> so do we think that Deveronians have fire resistance? I, that's what I thought immediately. <laughs> Half damage. Somebody crack open the uh, RPG source book. <laughs> I mean, they're tieflings? Are they basically tieflings? They seem like they're tieflings. Um. And eventually, he basically tries to crush him with the door, and even that doesn't go really well on the first shot, because uh, the different bird catches it and pushes it back up, and then he hits him with the blast doors, uh, and that seems to take him out, or at least that is the uh, feeling that we get at the moment. It was such a fun callback to the first episode, um, just the way that it was framed that you're like, oh, yes, this classic move that the Mando does to get people chopped in half by a door, <laughs> yeah, and then right. it doesn't work, and <laughs> it's like, okay. 
second set of door. <laughs> yeah, I kept waiting for it. I was like, oh, he's going to drop the door on his head. It's totally, he's going to pull a, you know, a Luke and the Rancor from uh, from Return of the Jedi. And yeah, it is startling at that moment when it comes back up again, right? Because the first, the way the scene is framed, you think like, is the door just coming up with the guy's head attached to it? This is dark right. and bloody. Nope, he's just <laughs> lifting it. Um, we see a fight between Xian and the Mando, uh, where Xian, all, he has, like, the crazy knives. There's, like, knives upon knives. It's knives all the way down. Um, Are they, like, homing knives, or... <sighs> I wasn't sure what the electronic element was. I kind of assumed they were vibra knives. Yeah. Oh, so, like, armor piercing? I think... They mostly don't because they, they bounce off his armor a couple times, and I think she gets him in, like, the shoulder joint at one point. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. but they seem like they almost like are like, like magically generating knives too. Like she's just got right. like so many of them. She just keeps making more. Um, and eventually he, uh, basically gets into uh, grappling distance, gets one of her knives and, and holds it to her throat. And that's the last we see of that. And then my personal favorite scene, which is the scene with Mayfeld, who is sneaking around and he finds a couple security droids and shoots him. And uh, then there's a mouse droid that makes him, like, jump, right? And at the same time, we have a great <laughs> shot of the Mandalorian, like, coming behind him in the flickering strobe light, right? Like, cla- again, classic horror movie shot where it's, like, you see him, and then you don't see him, and then you see him, and he gets closer each time. And then finally Mayfeld turns around, and there's no one there, except now he's behind him. And you get this very <laughs> moment where the Mayfeld realizes, like, oh, God, this guy's behind me. And he just goes, no, like, really petulantly. <laughs> I love that. Well, uh, and at this point, we don't know whether or not Mando is just, like, stone cold murdering yes, them. Yes, exactly. Like, like it seems like there's a pretty good chance that that's what's happening, in which case the horror framing is, like, even yeah, absolutely more horrifying. I actually felt like... That scene reminded me, I forget if there was the strobe effect, but Vader at the end of Rogue yeah, One, right. where he's like progressing down the hallway and just like, just menace. Maybe it's the cape. Maybe, you know, <laughs> capes just capes be are menacing. menacing. But... It's true. It's 100%, 100% true. Um, so Zero, meanwhile, has been trying to track down the child. We see him <laughs> hiding in the cargo hold at one point. Uh, and then making he, the most pathetic little noises. Yeah, he's just little, little mute, merp, merp. cute baby. Uh, and he hears a door closed. Uh, meanwhile, the Mando is caught up with Quinn. Uh, Quinn states that y- you killed the others, right? Like, and and right. that is again what we have been led to believe at this point. And the Mandalorian will only say they got what they deserved. Um, he offers, Quinn offers money to the Mando to, to bring it back. Cause like, this is the job, right? Like, this is what we know about right. Mandalorians. They have a code. He does the job and he sort of tweaks him by asking if he doesn't, you know, aren't you a man of honor? Um, we see zero creep up on the bunk and opens it to no. see the child. He's got the gun level of <laughs> the child. We get the, like the music and the, the child closes its eyes as it clearly starts to use the force. And then like zero basically explodes <laughs> and in, in a brilliant moment the child just sort of like looks at its own hand <laughs> if this were you know a classic 90s uh sitcom he would have asked did i do that <laughs> the baby Yoda's urkel and now i've ruined it for everybody i his first word <laughs> Did that, did I, do I? No, I can't do it. <laughs> uh, um, 
So uh, Baby Yoda looks out, and of course the Mandalorian has shot him from behind. We get the Mandalorian returning to the station. He delivers Quinn. He gets paid. We get the idea again that, like, Ran was sort of supposed to be his friend, but it also kind of seems like he set him up. Uh, And there's sort of more tension there as he's like, you know, it's like the good old days. Uh, And he gets paid and he takes his money, uh, but he's clearly not so uh, sanguine about sort of like, this was all fine. This was exactly how it was supposed to go. Um, Right. But he doesn't seem upset by the loss of everyone else. Right. Which is kind of interesting in that, like... So he wanted to go and spring this one guy. <laughs> and they have a relationship, right? Like, they sort of hug right. as he comes back, and he's really happy to see Quinn and all that. So there's, yeah, some relationship there, but it's never quite drawn out. I mean, it it, it, it seemed to me, right, like, the Mando um, ran Quinn and Sion were a crew running together back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. And then Ran basically brought on Mayfeldberg Zero later on. I, I think I gathered more than to just spring Quinn, but maybe not for not running as a group for all that long. Mm-hmm. So, right. right. I, I think you're certainly, you, you can certainly see that Ran was, didn't really care about most of the rest of them, maybe cared right. about Sion. Yeah. But, you know, Quinn was, Quinn, it seemed like, was his buddy, right? And right. The one that he wanted back. And maybe some of the fact that, like, they, the, the, the Mandalorian was blamed for leaving Quinn behind might have sort of soured the relationship. Um, right. And that, that could certainly be part of it. Um, so uh, the Mando leaves the station uh, and immediately Rand tells, you know, calls a flunky and says, like, uh, go kill him. Um, and then we get the twist, of course, that the Mando left the New Republic transponder on Quinn, and we get a squadron of X-Wings that jumps in, uh, <laughs> immediately destroys the gunship, and then basically probably blows up the rest of the station. It's unclear. Uh, as the Mandalorian jumps to hyperspace and gives unscrews the little control ball to give to Baby Yoda to play with, uh, and says to him, I told you that was a bad idea. Uh, kind of <laughs> kind of broad, but all right, Sure. <laughs> Uh, and our last shot, of course, is that all through all of the rest of the crew are locked up in one of the cells on the New Problem prison ship. So he did not kill them. He he basically just threw them into jail. So it looked like Berg's horns were a little worse for wear. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. But he wasn't dead, which surprised me after right. getting hit by two doors. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to, hard to non-lethally close a blast door on yeah. someone. <laughs> uh, well, they managed. What, one thing that I did kind of like about the... Um, scene where they're like okay go and kill him was how much shinier and cooler the ship that they had in the Mm. hangar looked than his right like i appreciate this characterization that we're getting of um not his ship as a the razor crest is that what it's called um, not as a junker necessarily, but just as like really, really old. Yeah, right. I mean, part well, of comes the- up several times. Right. Yeah. It's actually exactly. a plot point in this episode, which was interesting. That's why, yeah, they bring it because it's off the grid for the both the New Republic and the Empire, apparently. Um, but there is, I mean, obviously the ship was not that long ago taken apart entirely and put back together again right. by two guys. So, yeah, it's probably a little but bit worse But one of them's an Ugnaught. Yeah, so- so extra powers, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, he gets a bonus to it. It's like a it's like a dwarf with stone work, right? Like <laughs> essentially, cutting. yeah. We're just gonna transpose all of this into D anD D. Is how this is gonna work. Well, that actually, like <laughs> this group of people felt very much like a a party, like <laughs> the ensemble vibe, mm-hmm. the like differentiation of roles, the differentiation of goals. Everyone kind of moving towards the same point, but putting their own uh, sauce on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got your barbarian, your rogue, your ranger, maybe? Yeah, yeah I, I was thinking how fun it would be to do this group as a one-shot <laughs> at, at one point. Um, but that's how I see everything, so that shouldn't be too surprising. <laughs> um, we also, so the, the X-Wing squad at the end is also full of cameos, um, the, uh, including Dave Filoni. Uh, Dave Filoni. Uh, Deborah Chow, who directed one of the previous episodes and is the showrunner on the Obi-Wan show that is coming up. And oh. uh, I apologize, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but Rick uh, Fumuyua, who is the director of this very episode. Um, and so they get to, they get their little, and they, they, I loved, I stopped the credits to check this. They all have names. They all have Star Wars names. They're not just pilots. So <laughs> uh, Deborah Chow is Sash Ketter, I think. Uh, Rick Famuyua is Jib Dodger, which is like, that just sounds great. I love everything about that. And Dave Filoni's character is named Trapper Wolf, which is... Which is, of, of course is very is. Dave Filoni. Of course it is. Ugh. I'm amazed they got him to take the hat off, is all I'm saying. Or what do you think he's wearing it under the helmet? Yeah, he pulls the helmet off and it just flops up. God. Um uh, man. Yeah, so this was a uh, this this is first of all, I think it's the longest episode so far. It's, it's still only like forty three minutes, but it's like broadcast hour long length essentially. Yeah, uh, and it definitely felt longer to me than a lot of the previous ones. In part because mm-hmm. we had the time to do sort of like that reversal where it's like it goes from right. the job is going fine to uh oh now this is a different kind of episode. Um, but I was wondering about your your guys' impressions in terms of this episode, uh, how it compares to previous ones, like uh, sort of, are there any influences or whatever that you specifically picked out? Um, I would say that this is the episode that made me feel like even if the entire series is completely serial in nature Mm -hmm. with every episode being relatively self-contained uh mando gets in to a scrap we figure out how he you know manages to resolve it and then he takes off on his spaceship at the end flying off into the next episode i would be completely fine with that i am loving the you know different palettes that they're getting into when each episode you know, like we've had episodes that were all desert, and then you had uh, the child, which was very much like green fantasy mm. vibe, and then this one, which was so stark and uh, very mod in terms of design. Like, I love seeing the evocative things they can get up to when they don't necessarily have to have a through line between each of them and i love a myth arc but the idea of them just like spinning up these small stories and then immediately resolving them uh i actually like a lot more than i thought i would yeah i mean you you get the feeling i get the feeling that 
we're gonna see elements from this episode again. Right. Um, and, and I, d- I don't necessarily mean elements like, um, you know, lighting choices or, or sets or whatnot, but I, I, you know, it would not shock me that some of these characters get referenced again, mm-hmm. um, in terms of Mando's past. Uh, some of the characters even show up again, potentially, right? Um, right. We know Mayfeldberg and Sian are all still alive, if somewhat incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Um, Quinn and Ran, less certain. Zero, we know, is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but Quinn and Ran, I, I think the, right, the takeaway is, yeah, they probably got blown up. <laughs> but, you know, I... Didn't see a body. Yeah, yeah, if you don't, don't see a body, you, you can never, you can never, you can never be sure that they're dead. Um, so, and and it really kind of had that that feeling too that we are starting to explore the Mando a little bit more, right? Like, who is he? What's driving him? And you know, eventually, I think we're gonna have to get to one of the big questions that's kind of unasked so far in this series, I think, which is well you know, what was different about this job that he did back in episode one that it's like, okay, no, he's breaking the Bounty Hunter Guild code. Right. 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 Yeah. It seems like he, you know, we now know that he was a foundling, that he was taken in at a very young age and brought up in a specific martial society where a code was provided to him. He didn't have to come up with one on his own. And then, you know, joining the Bounty Hunters Guild, another code that was provided to him, and and maybe he found a way to sort of reconcile those. But what we're seeing now is him figuring out what his code is, what actions he's willing to take in order to do what he thinks is right. Not what someone else thinks is right, but sort of searching inside himself and defining that possibly even for the first time which is a really interesting point to see someone um in a story like this yeah well that's yeah sorry go ahead Dan. no no, go ahead evan please i was gonna say that's a another interesting question too i think is that we we know of the mandalorian as a bounty hunter right and that's kind of how he's defined Mm -hmm. when he was running with ran back in the, the back in the day when that this episode is referencing what was he a bounty hunter then do we think was he a member of the bounty hunter guild and just not necessarily taking um you know marks or was this prior to that when you know he was kind of becoming the you know the hunter. elite individual that he now is yeah i mean we we only get to mention that like he what he got out of it was target practice essentially. And it seemed like it was like a way for him to like hone his skills maybe. Uh, and I think it's interesting, you know, it's a great point about the codes and all the conflicting codes. I, I think for me, you know, looking back at it, I imagine that a lot of the reason this job was different is because it was to him evocative of his own situation. Like Jane mentioned, he was a foundling, but more than that, like there is a, we don't get this exact shot, Oh, pretty close, actually, in the first episode. But, like, when the bassinet opens and he's got, like, a gun pointed at it, more or less, is kind of a direct analog to the shot that we see of him as a flashback when there's, like, a battle droid about to kill him, right? So, like, we get, like, a direct analog to, like, oh, I know exactly what it is like to have been this kid. And suddenly, like, 
found by somebody who wants to kill me. And maybe that was like kind of his moment of like, I don't want to be that that droid, you know, who is the merciless killing machine or whatever. Maybe I need to to rethink some stuff. Um, well, and we've had multiple scenes now where a droid is holding a gun mm, to baby Yoda. That's a great and point. And someone else shoots the droid before, you know, they can take their shot. So now I'm wondering if we are going to see the final element of his flashback mm-hmm. to Who saved maybe him? a Mandalorian shooting the droid, right. the yeah. droid falling, and then him being taken in as a foundling. Right, yeah, because that, that is the missing element we have, right? Like, we start to get a little more about yeah. his background in this one, and we see him as a kid, but we we basically have nothing right now other than these vague illusions from this episode of his life from being that kid about to die to where we see him when we come in at episode one. Uh, and, like, there's a lot of time unaccounted for in there. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, so we are, this is episode six. We have two episodes left in the season. Uh, it seems like despite sort of these self-contained episodes, obviously we do have the overarching plot of the child. Any thoughts on sort of what we are looking to see in those last couple episodes? What, how this storyline is going to progress or get wrapped up? I was really trying to think about that because after this episode, I was like, okay, so how many more episodes do we have? Four? But no, we, we have, you know, very few. And I am not sure whether the child arc will be a permanent part of the show or if there will be some sort of resolution there, at least temporarily. Um, it feels like it is very core to season one. But I also feel like there is a chance that it could overstay its welcome. Uh, I think you'd tell different types of stories when Baby Yoda is there than you might if he's on his own. And in some ways, I think the the real test would be to see, you know, how whether he behaves in the same way in a world where he doesn't have this supremely innocent creature right there relying on him. Like, does he still behave selflessly? Mm -hmm. Does he still, you know, try to do what's right, even when there's not... I'm almost thinking about, like, the elf on the shelf, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) like a a Jiminy Cricket conscious right there, like, has... Has he been permanently changed by this interaction? And I, my sense would be yes. Kind of the baby Yoda on the pagoda. Is that what we're talking about here? <laughs> yes. Baby Yoda in the pagoda. Spring 2020. <laughs> it's going to be the most popular uh, Christmas purchase for next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the pagoda is extra. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's an upcharge. Evan, what about you? you have any thoughts about the, the what you like to see in these last couple episodes or where you think it's going? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, so... The one thing that I think we know we're going to see in the next couple of episodes, right, is is kind of the the little hint at the end of the prior episode, episode five, right? Mm-hmm. Who is that person who is presumably tracking the Mando, right? Right. right. Um, I, to to kind of go off on what Jane said, I, I kind of agree. I, I don't know where they intend to go with the the child arc right i do get the sense that it's not going to last hmm. it kind of feels like 
they it feels like the Mandalorian himself and the the show in general kind of has to put Baby Yoda aside at some point and say, you know, okay, you're not you're not lone wolf and lone wolf and cubbing for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. right? But I'm not a hundred percent sure where they go right. after, right? Um, you know, and and Jane brought up a great point about you know, does the Mandalorian retain this newfound morality? Does he even have a newfound morality? Right. Or is it, you know, fleeting? Situational. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's interesting points that are raised, though. Yeah, like, because, like, where do you take this child? Like, where is safe, right? Like, that is that right. is kind of the, the the crux of these last several episodes is, like, and I think it comes up against it in this episode where the Mandalorian, like, his worlds have to collide, right? Like, it's not, this episode is ostensibly not about, like, I'm going to protect the child. It's about, I'm going to go do a job, but I, I now also have to protect the child at the same time. And this is coming into conflict in a way that is really hard for me to sustain. I can't keep doing jobs if I have to worry about this kid, but I also can't worry about this kid without like the money i'm gonna make from doing the jobs so now he's got this tension in his life where like that has to get resolved somehow but how do you do it he doesn't have anybody that he really trusts or meet with perhaps the exception of the rest of his mandalorian tribe but like there we don't know what happened to them in the aftermath of their fight back in episode three so yeah i think there's a lot of uh, a lot of balls in the air and then the, the last thing being which we haven't really gotten back to yet is we know from the first couple episodes that somebody hired Werner Herzog. Like Werner Herzog was kind of like the intermediary, uh, right. and like they were going to take the child somewhere or do something with it. And we don't know who is behind him. Uh, and at some point, that's going to be an issue as well because clearly somebody with you know deep pockets is trying to track down this child, and sooner or later, they're probably going to succeed. Right, right, and you know, I. I... While understanding that the entire FOB system is sort of plot-powered, I think, um, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point there is a play to address it at its source. Mm -hmm. So, like, clearly, as long as Baby Yoda is trackable, someone is going to be tracking him. I mean, he's valuable enough that that is always going to make sense, and there seems to be a near-inexhaustible supply of you know, mercenaries and bounty hunters who are going to be willing to track him down. Um, But yeah, I would be surprised if the Baby Yoda plot lasted. I mean, maybe it'll last through the end of the season, but, you know, much longer than that. uh, I think it would limit their storytelling perspective, even though, of course, I adore him. Um, I also feel like we've been setting up all of these, you know, characters Mm -hmm. in this episode primarily as potential antagonists um but they're really setting up a toolbox that then they'll be able to pull from right in the future um and hopefully they're they'll pull cara dune but that is (laughs) neither here nor there uh excellent uh any last thoughts before we wrap up here just on the the show in general or or your feelings i want a backpack with a gun (laughs) (laughs) well the christmas is coming let me tell you (laughs) yeah maybe just like a squirt gun i don't need you know any actual projectiles but jane don't go hunting in the closet for christmas presents (laughs) okay (laughs) okay so take him i'm 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 putting my big theory out there which is uh 
the mysterious person that we saw in ep- in episode five, Cad Bane. Oh, <laughs> I would love that That's my so much. Ugh, Cad Bane is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are uh, that was a character we haven't seen in a long time, and there's still some yeah. possibly some life in him yet. Yeah, I think the the question would be, c- could they make that appearance? So Cad Bane is a Duros, yes. Um, which gives him big bug eyes, um, which in the animated Clone Wars series, he somehow manages to transcend to be uh, a very, very smart and menacing foil, specifically to, I would say, Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. He's just a really cool bounty hunter. Uh, and we did, at the end of that episode, spend a lot of time squinting and being like, did he have spurs? <laughs> It did sound kind of clinky. Yeah, it does sound yeah, clinky. So that would be a and you know when when Dave Filoni's involved, you can't rule anything out. I know, man. He's he's got the fox or no the wolf, um, and Cad Bane. That's right. And even if it's not Cad Bane, the fact that they managed to do that character so successfully in an animated medium mm-hmm. uh, makes me very excited for however they do compose this character who seems really like a potential major foil for Mando. Mm-hmm. Someone yeah. who follows him through multiple episodes. Oh, I have my favorite other trivia piece from this episode. So the actor who plays Quinn, um, mm-hmm. whose name is Ismail Cruz Cordova, is uh, a Puerto Rican actor who uh, was best known for being on Sesame Street, on which he played really? a character, no joke, named... Mando, <laughs> short for Ar- short for Ar- possibly Mondo, short for Armando. Uh, but uh, I still I looked that up and I kind of did a double take. Like, what? There was a character named Mando. <laughs> a character named Baby Yoda. <laughs> what? what? Did not see that coming. All right. Well, thank you so much for going over this episode with me. Uh, of course, uh, thanks everybody out there for listening. I want to thank my special guest this week, Jane Ritt. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Dan. And Evan Ritt, my good friend, may the force be with you. And the force be with us all, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all for tuning in, and we'll be back later this week, actually. I believe this week's episode drops on Wednesday before episode nine drops. So uh, this is two for a week uh, for everybody out there. And I've got some guests lined up for that one. So uh, look for that in the podcast feed, and we will see you next time.